Today's program made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it all covered. We talk to those in the entertainment industry and find out about their favorite scores. You found the podcast, What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and let's see what we'll be hearing today. Recognize that music? It's a favorite from our guest today. Now, he's a filmmaker who writes, directs, and produces his films with his indie production company called Sully Scope Films. Since uh, 2016, he's made half a dozen films, most recently one called Trigger Girl, which I highly recommend. I recently saw it. Uh, his latest project is a film called Gravity, which I must say has a stellar cast, including yours truly. <laughs> anyway, I hope that you all will please join me in welcoming Scott Sullivan to the podcast. Hi, Scott. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, sir? I'm fine. I'm fine. And, and just excited and delighted to have you on the program today. I, I love some of your choices, if for no other reason, because I'm not all that familiar with them. And I like hearing new stuff. So I'm going to be excited about sh- uh, talking about those with you and, uh, and sharing them with the audience. Um, what we typically like to do with our, our guests when, when we... Uh, first get started with a conversation is we like to learn a little bit more about Scott Sullivan, the person, if you will. So I'm just kind of curious if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, growing up and family and those sorts of things. Sure. Um, well, I, I was actually born in New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, I spent uh, probably a good 12 years of my life there. So um, New Orleans always holds a special place in my heart. Uh, but after that, we that's how I landed in Baton Rouge and uh, been sort of a Baton Rouge and ever ever since uh, lived in many places throughout my life. But, um, you know, the old saying is there's there's no place like home. So um, uh, I um, got married in 2009. Uh, my lovely wife and I, we have three beautiful kids who wow. who keep me young at heart. I mean, it's. Um, <laughs> I, I I tell you, um, one of the joys, and this is probably selfish with me being a filmmaker, but my kids are now at the ages where they're getting into all of those movies I used to love as a kid. So it's kind of like um, going back in time and reliving those emotions and moments and, and seeing the looks on their faces. And, um, you know, it, it reminds you of the power of film to transcend time. But It's um, fun, isn't it? I mean, I, 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 I know exactly what you're saying. It, yeah. It's fun to share those, oh, you need to see this. And if you're lucky, and I'm, it sounds like you are, if you're lucky, like in my case, my daughter doesn't mind seeing films from the 70s or the 80s. She doesn't say, oh, that's old. I don't want to see that. Uh, oh. Is that kind of what you're, are your kids open to seeing some of the, quote, older movies? 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. We, um, I mean, we, Star Wars has been on, and I'm talking about the, uh, the, uh, the original, the, the George Lucas right. stuff, <laughs> you know, that was created some of it before I was born. Um, <laughs> we're watching that and there's, there's an appreciation for that. And uh, one of my kids is into Ghostbusters now, the, the 1984 version. So right. it's like, uh, you know, it's so welcoming to to um, to to just to just experience that with them and to see how they they take it in and they still appreciate it. You know, given all the digital uh, special effects that can, you know, just absolutely take over movies these days. Um, they still appreciate the old stuff. Yeah. 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 You, you mentioned that you lived in several different places and any places outside of Louisiana that you lived for you oh, know, a yeah. small period of time. I mean, you, you name it. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess the most recent, the place I was in before I came back here was Richmond, Virginia. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, I mentioned that place because that that's a totally different culture from down here. So there was a, a lot of fun experiences out there. The weather is um, something to behold, especially during <laughs> wintertime when you walk out in the parking lot. And um, there was one time I could not find my car because of the amount of snow that had fallen and that was that was a new experience for me so um but yeah um i've i've got a, a taste of a, a few places around the, the country so so now if you're like me because I, I spent eight years in vermont i could care oh, wow. less whether i see another snowflake in my life i bet man <laughs> i bet that so you I, I take it you're the same way yeah i mean it's it's a it's a good thing to visit but um you know <laughs> having to live your life in that is uh, I, I applaud people who can do it i really do yeah no i i, I understand 100 it is nice to look at and it's not, you know if you're visiting and you don't have to plow or shovel it's great oh, <laughs> but, yeah. but to live in it you know month to month and it's a little rough it is it um is. I, I i'm fascinated by the choices that you've made uh for cues that you wanted to share with our audience today uh, the first one we were going to look at is uh, from the film. Uh, let's see here. It's uh, from the film Rogue One. Mm -hmm. I think the cue is called Hope, and it's written by, forgive me if I mispronounce this, Michael Chia, uh, Chia Chino. I don't yeah, know if that's Chia right Chino. or not, but mm -hmm. uh, well, tell, I, tell us a little bit about, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to include that amongst your favorites. Well, um, Rogue One, um, I don't know how much you know about the movie, but um it's fairly recent uh, in the whole Star Wars canon. Uh, it's a 2016 movie um, directed by Gareth Edwards, uh, but it's it it has this. It's it's kind of an outlier, but for me, it kind of connected to the original uh, trilogy in a way that the other films, um, in my opinion, have not. Mm. Uh, and so there's uh, this one particular scene that's associated with this this um, this particular score that um, it, I mean plainly it brought me to tears because of the the powerful emotional connection the music mixed with the scene had for me as an adult bringing me back to the moments of childhood with the original trilogies that had such an influence on me and the world. Um, and so that's what, what led me to pick this one. It, it ranks very high for me in the Star Wars canon. And uh, a lot of people will debate me, and that's the beauty of Star Wars. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, when I saw the title, I, 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 I uh, and, and no, I've not seen it, unfortunately, but I instantly thought, oh, okay, must be John Williams. And then I said, ooh, no, it's not. No. But that, what, a, what a great description you gave there of why you like it. That's a. Yeah, it, it, it is a depart. It was a departure from John Williams. Um, but however, there's a lot of um, what you would call uh, late motifs that um, draw from John Williams' original scores that are that are in this, which I think adds to the beauty. It this film and the music respect the trilogy in a in a very um, a very unique fashion. Oh wow! Now, hey, hey, I'm ready to hear it. Let's uh, let's let's go ahead and pause for a moment and, and play this. This is from the film Rogue One. The cue is called Hope, and it's written by Michael Giacchino. In our introduction, uh, we mentioned that you were a filmmaker, so I'm kind of curious about your journey for that. What was it that, uh, tell us a little bit, I guess, of the story behind how did you end up uh, deciding to make that your life's work to become a filmmaker? Um, it was um, it was a recent decision um, that came after almost a lifetime of denial. Um <laughs> I, as a kid, I was, I was always very, very imaginative as most kids are, but I think, um, I had a special kind of, um, love for imagination and, and creating stories and, um, uh, you know, playing with toys and, and actually, I don't know, almost making these types of films with my toys. Uh, but as you, as I grew up, uh, the real world kind of, um, you know, took over. And, uh, I was never, I was never told that filmmaking was something practical, uh, which, um, I'm, I'm still trying to convince myself that it is, but (laughs) uh, (laughs) there's, there, there's this power in following one's dreams. And that's, that's what brought me back here. It was a dream that I could not let go of. And, um, so in, in 2019, um, I started doing filmmaking full time and, uh, I haven't looked back since I've been making films since, uh, oh gosh, 2016, but 
2019, this is this has been my sole uh, my sole job, so so to speak. So now, uh, yeah, did go you, ahead. Uh, so I mean, uh, did you did you go to school for this? Did you uh, did you have any kind of formal training? I mean, that's you know, it's I, I having kind of been in the business, and I'm not that I'm super experienced, but I have an appreciation for it. I'm telling you, being a, a filmmaker and all the roles that you play, that's a lot. That's a lot on your plate. So I'm kind of curious, was there any fun, formal training that you went through? Um, you know, uh, and that, that's that's a good question because I, undergrad, um, I did like sociology, philosophy, and psychology. Uh, and then I got a master's degree in, um, in divinity. So I studied religion for three hmm. years. Uh, that's why I was in Richmond. Um, and then um, after that, soon, at, not long after that, but a few years after that, I ended up getting an MFA in screenwriting. Um, and that that screenwriting degree is kind of what married everything else. together. I didn't know at the time that this was informing what I wanted to do, but it all kind of came together. So in a way, um, my education was very much about filmmaking. Now, after the screenwriting degree, the real degree came, which was the real life. You're a filmmaker now. Now what? Um, and so through life and experience, I've, I've learned a lot about the business side of it, which um, is something that you cannot neglect if you really want to do this. Yeah, no kidding. It, 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 not only a business side, but it, it strikes me as someone's got to be a, a, a master organizer that can has a, attention to detail and and under and understands leadership and and how to get a group of people to collaborate and work together does that make sense what i'm saying oh it makes a lot of sense i mean um especially at the independent level um you're you're really <laughs> you're really no pun intended for the score we just discussed but you're operating on hope a lot of times um and uh Fortunate for me, I spent a large part of my career over a decade in uh, real estate sales and also uh, residential construction as a project manager. Um, so a lot of how I run uh, my business and my film sets uh, draw from that, um, that that need to, to pay attention to detail, scheduling, organizing, budget, scopes, all of that stuff. Um, so it's just a it's a marriage of many things to, to kind of to pull it off, but you don't do it by yourself. It's, uh, for instance, people like you who show up to set prepared and ready to deliver. Um, all of that has to work together uh, to pull this off. It's not a, it's not a one man show. How, I mean, cause I admire your, your, your courage and your bravery to kind of, you know, take the bull by the horns and, and try to make a career out of it, especially as an independent filmmaker. What, what, um, I don't know how to phrase this. I mean, there must be just some unique challenges for someone who's trying to independently produce films as opposed to going through the, the so-called studio system, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the I guess the first challenge is you, you're dealing with um, with how do you how do you fund your projects? Uh, the studios seem, seem to have an endless supply of uh, financial support. Um, so that's that's one challenge. And also the studios have uh, also a lot of um, well-known and valued uh, IP, um, globally valued IP. 
So you as an independent, you don't necessarily have access to those two key things. Um, and we can still craft great stories. Um, there's no doubt about that. We can make good stuff. We can make quality stuff. Um, but it's challenging because even after you make it, you don't have the the matching uh, $100 million marketing budget to, you know, get it out yeah. there for everybody to see. So there are there are some inherent challenges, but I think they can be overcome if we, we start betting on ourselves, especially in our local markets. Well, well put, well put. Um, another cue you chose is, uh, is from a film I am familiar with and a composer I'm familiar with. Uh, the film is Interstellar, and uh, the cue you chose was called uh, Cornfield Chase. Yes. And this is by composer Hans Zimmer, who actually is, by, by the way, uh, just recently was nominated for an Academy Award for the uh, film Dune. So, uh, But yeah. anyway, going back to Interstellar, tell me a little bit about why you chose that as a cue you'd like to share today. You know, Interstellar is kind of off the beaten path. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Chris Nolan fan. Um, he's done some great stuff, and... Uh, Interstellar is a, a very well-respected film, um, the 2014 film. Um, but it has this, the, the, the score by Hans Zimmer, I think, is appreciated amongst uh, critical circles. But it's not something that comes up in conversation a lot um, when, we, when we talk about Hans. Um, you know, everybody talks about Inception and you know, all the I can I can name a bunch of other stuff he's done. But um, but this particular this particular score that I'm, I'm talking about, there's this element of the, the call to adventure in every film. And there's something about what's going on in that that cornfield, the chase, Matthew McConaughey chasing this this drone and the, the way the score progresses, that that kind of sums up this this feeling of adventure that you love to have when you're when you're getting ready to really get into a film. Yeah, yeah. Again, the uh, the film is Interstellar. The cue is called Cornfield Chase, and it's written by composer Hans Zimmer.
Now, I, I, I realize that I realize that you've you know only been kind of doing the filmmaking thing for I don't know let's say half a dozen years or something like that. But of course, you were I think very in tune with it probably and was familiar with it. I'm just kind of curious from your perspective. How do you think, or do you have a feeling on how filmmaking has changed from today, from what it were, where it was, let's say, ten or twenty years ago? Do you have a sense of that? Hmm. I mean, that's a that's a very good question because, um, I mean, the, the more you talk about it, the more you realize how much things have changed. And yeah. um, uh, there, there's good and bad. That, that's a big question. That's a big question. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I'd say the, um, you'd have to, you'd have to include technology in this discussion. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a big change. Um, but also, um, gosh, there's, there's both a risk aversion that is, is becoming more pronounced, but also there's more. There's more people out there experimenting because there's more access to get your stuff out there. Um, so there's kind of uh, it's not just this this like small circle of people making films anymore. And I think that's a that's a huge change is that the market is just absolutely flooded with content right now. And um, there's some pr pretty good stuff that we just don't get around the scene. But um, it's uh, it's definitely a different world. It, it, it's amazing, isn't it? One of the things I hooked up to what you were just saying that I can relate to is it for those of us that are old enough, and I certainly am old enough, um, the amount of content that is out there is staggering. Yes. And, and I, I don't mean it's like crap. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff out there. In fact, I can't, to be honest, I, 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 I don't even have the time to, to, to take it all in. I, I have all these suggestions of things I need to watch, but I, I can't get to it all. So that's, that's staggering. And of course, for someone like in your position, that's, that's good news. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's got its up, it's pros and cons. Um, you know, uh, one, yeah, you can get your stuff out there, but two, we go back to, to marketing and marketing budgets. Mm. Um, who's going to watch it? <laughs> yeah. Is your, is it, is your uh, content going to get lost in the sea of all the other stuff? Oh, yes. Well, now, I'm curious, and I realize probably you haven't had to use this sort of technology in your films yet. Maybe you have. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm curious about your thoughts about the use of a CGI. The, 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 and I'll share my opinion of it. Okay. And you can feel free to agree or disagree. It just, I don't know. There's a part of me that just says it's being way overused. I, one of the things, my listeners know I'm a huge James Bond fan. There's no secret about that. One of the things I always liked about those films that for the most part, although it's changed a little bit recently, but for the most part, when you saw a stunt or something happen, that was a real person really doing it. And and that that was meaningful. And now they use all these computer tricks to show these impossible things that could never happen. And I don't know. I mean, it is kind of fun to watch, but I, I don't know. It just seems to me that it's overused. I'd be curious about your thoughts on that. Well, I mean... Um... I, I can certainly appreciate times where it was used a lot less. Uh, there's there's nothing like uh, being on location, and, and there's there's several directors out there, filmmakers who who really value that that sense of of um, I guess we can call it realness. 
but um also uh i guess the the upside of the the whole technology cgi thing is that you can at times pull off some things that you perhaps couldn't uh and if if used correctly you can really take audiences to places that you could not before and and perhaps there's also a safety thing to it as well um good point man yeah so it's uh you know, like everything else, it has its upsides and downsides. But I, I can definitely uh, agree with your angst on um, the overuse of it in certain certain. Well, I mean, I don't know. It strikes me as uh, I love it for commercials because, I mean, commercials are supposed to be kind of over the top or, you know, trying to sell you something. So I I think it has a place there. But in films, I just I'd like to see it. You not eliminated, but just used less. It's just a. It's probably because I'm an old fart, so you'll have to forgive me for that. Oh no, it's it's. I mean, it's that's the the technological progression. You know, some people still love uh, celluloid, and um, true, yeah, yeah. A lot of people have moved away for from it. I, I, and, and, you know, and I don't. I'm still trying to understand that. I wasn't planning on asking this, but let me let me go ahead and ask it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, I spent six weeks on the set of uh, Magnificent Seven. I was I did background on that. And they did that on film. Mm-hmm. And I remember I, I ended up having a long talk with the, with the editor. He was on, he was actually on set. I said, well, you know, you're, you're shooting this on film, but from what I understand, it's going to be presented in theaters digitally. He said, yeah. I said, well, why, why go through this process of transferring the film to digital? And he, I don't even remember exactly what he said, but I mean, it, it's funny how they tried to make digital look like film. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is kind of interesting. Now I know digital is a lot cheaper. Yeah. I, you know, I understand that aspect of it. Um, have, have you, I'm just curious. Have you ever shot anything on film? Never, never. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you you, you need to, uh, at, especially on the independent level, you need to really have a budget for that. That almost doubles or triples your budget. I would take it. Uh, you, you know, not only that, um, it. I could I could see it being stressful on on set because you you better stick that line you know or get that right because we can't just shoot that over over and over again. Right. Um, so, but I also I thought it was interesting you know um, when uh, when I was uh, when we were premiering Trigger Girl, um, one of the questions they they were asking me or not not asking me but one of the comments of the projectionist was, "I'm so glad people aren't using film anymore." <laughs> and wow. he went on to explain the amount of work it would take to manage uh film um in theaters because he grew up working during that time and so that just speaks to the many sides of the argument like there there are some people that are that are glad to see that go um, oh yeah yeah but but you i mean it's just something very nostalgic about it and like i said certain directors get it um but it's hard to stop that train that's kind of benefiting so many people in so many ways. Yeah, I don't know if people really know it, but my understanding was when when we were talking about a feature length film that was on film, generally you had you had two projectors, and as the as real one was wearing out or, or running out, <laughs> you'd crank up real two so that it was kind of a seamless transition, and then yeah. the projectionist would obviously have to take real one off and put real three on and. I mean, it was actually a lot of work, I bet. It was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, this next cue you chose, and I, and I know this composer, and I, and I 
correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you know or not. I want to say that uh, Johan Johansson has is, is, is actually passed. Yes. I think. Yes, and I want to say he was from Finland. Yes. Um, which is a country, actually, I've visited quite a bit in my work life. Um, so I'm very familiar with it. And, I, and I've really taken an interest in his work. Um, the film we're talking about is called Arrival. You've chosen a cue from that film called Hydraulic Lift. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of curious if you could talk to us a little bit about why you chose that to be among your favorites. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. First of all, a lot of I have a lot of respect for Johan. Um, um, he actually actually born in, in Iceland. Um, uh, he he had a certain passion about his films, and he I'm sure, I'm, of course he may have been a, a tortured soul, but who was not? <clears throat> but this particular film, uh, this Dennis Villanueva uh, masterpiece. Um, is one of those films where the score is kind of putting you into the space of the film and in the spaces that you enter are spaces that you just don't know in real life. None of us have been in an alien uh, spaceship before. I don't think, I don't know if you have Frank, but um, (laughs) yes, I have, (laughs) but the score mixed with the, um, the production design um, Patrice Vermette did the production design. But those two things together kind of they make this weird feeling in the movie. And so the hydraulic lift, this particular score, they're entering this um, this heptapod. And it's just the, the the way the music plays. It just puts you there. You're like, I, I feel I can feel everything there, how it feels, how the temperature of it. I can just feel it. Um, so I don't know how he did it, but he did it. <laughs> and that's wow. why I have to respect it. What a great description. Well, I'm anxious to hear this. Then uh, uh, the following cue we're going to play is from the film called Arrival. Uh, the cue, uh, the track is called Hydraulic Lift, and it's written by composer Johan Johansson.
I'm getting ahead of myself. I was going to ask this later, but I'm going to ask it now, but just based on your recent comments, it sounds to me, it, it, it sounds to me that you have a real appreciation for film music and what it can uh, do to a, to a film. Hmm. Um, and, and I realize probably doing the independence that you do, you probably don't have these budgets for a 90 piece orchestra and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, you, you, you still have, but I'm assuming you still use music. And I, of course I know you do kind of talk to me a little bit about your philosophy of uh, how you like to use film music in, in your films. Oh man. Um, it's, it's really, it's a lot about, uh, feeling. I mean, if I want to reduce it to the simplest, to the simplest term, um, everything in the film for me is, is just, it's feeling you, you I, I want to feel something. And, um, I think music, the right music does that, um, in ways that that you just have to say it, it's magic i don't i don't i can't i don't know how or why it does it um but like in the the one we just did uh it just it puts you in a space it's something about the vibrations the tones the the timings um uh just it, it can transport you um physically and psychologically uh if that makes any sense um, yeah no i i've mentioned to people on several programs, uh, interviews that we've done, because I've had a chance a couple of times to, to witness this. And of course you do this all the time. It's part of your work, but it's amazing when you watch, when you watch a film, it's, you know, the rough cut or whatever, but it has no music. There's been no temp track or anything like that. How flat it is. I mean, you can have these, the greatest performances in the world, but it, for some reason it's just, it's just flat without, without the music. I mean, you, yeah. you can understand what I'm saying. Oh, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. And um, the, uh, you know, there's there's a, there's an opposite side to that as well, which I, I learned uh, uh, doing Trigger Girl. Um, Mike Essenal, a brilliant composer who's right here in Baton Rouge, who did that that film. He also did Paper Clocks for me. But um, the music can be so good at times that there's also a danger of, of overusing it. Ah, and yes. There's this this aspect to composing, which is called letting the film breathe. Uh, so you have to you kind of have to rein yourself. You, it's like you're really enjoying it, but you, you got to turn it off or the ears get too used to it. They they, they stop appreciating the beauty of it. Um, so that's um, I, I totally agree. Without it, it's, it's empty. But uh, too much of it, um, you get too full. Man, you're you're oh, geez, you're you're. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. In fact, well, I'm going to save that. I'm going to save that comment for a little bit later. I, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a cliche, I guess, but sometimes less is more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's face it. True. It, uh, so I, you know, I'm delighted to hear that. Um, let's see. I, I am, I, I don't know if this had an effect, but I mean, did the, uh, did the pandemic kind of get in the way of you uh, with your with your dream and what your schedule was as far as for what you wanted to get done? Was no. there a challenge there? No, I mean I don't say that. I don't want to say that in an arrogant sense. That it was challenging, um, but for the the type of space that I'm I'm playing in as an independent at the moment, um, it didn't put the types of restrictions that big Hollywood films had. Right. Um, 
so it, it really didn't interrupt um, what we, we planned to do or take on that year. I mean, it, it even, um, and I, I say this with the utmost respect, but it may have even been easier for us to pull off what we were pulling off because kind of the playground was empty. So it was like, <laughs> use whatever we want. So um, that, that was, uh, that was interesting, but also there, it, there was a, a big concern about the, the health of everyone doing our projects, but luckily no one um, got sick or ill and we were taking precautions. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you do the best you can, but I mean, you're, you're right with a lot of these, uh, big productions, you know, that are union films and those sorts of things. It's like, you gotta get tested every day. You gotta, you gotta do this. You gotta do that. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it adds to the cost of the film. And, uh, and obviously it's a real hassle for everybody that's working on it. And, and with an indie, you don't have that. So that I'm sure was refreshing for some people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it was way easier to take the necessary precautions. I mean, those Hollywood sets with hundreds of people, man, you, you just have to batten down the hatches. There's no way around it. And so um, it's just something they have to deal with to put out the type of product that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. The next cue you chose is, and I'm not familiar with the film or the composer, so I'm kind of interested to hear this. Uh, the film is called, uh, I guess it's called Ex Machina. Yes. Uh, written by composers Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow. The cue you uh, chose was the, the test worked. Tell me a little bit about that. A piece of music and uh, why you wanted to play it today. Okay. Um, Ex Machina 2014 is a sci-fi film, as you can probably tell from the title, but um, directed by Alex Garland. Um, it, it really, it's it, the movie centers around uh, something that's called the Turing Test. Um, uh, this guy named Alan, Alan Turing in the 50s, he uh, wanted to test the machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior uh, to the point where you couldn't tell the difference between a machine and a human. So um, in this movie, that's what's going on. This guy's developed this uh, this this female uh, machine. It's a AI, and he's doing a Turing test on it. But at this stage, there's a kind of like the, the test has worked. And the music that's being played behind it is so, uh, I don't know how to call it, but it's so off the beaten path. Um, it was done by... One of the people who, uh, who was involved in it was a guy named um, Jeff Bar Barrow, uh, who was part of a group named Portishead, which was kind of known for making these kind of weird kind of, you know, type of music. But it drew you in. And that's what this does. It kind of it pulls you into the story and it, it has this very, very true sci fi feel to it. The kind of stuff that you would get from like a Blade Runner or something like that, or, or Dune or something, something just very sci-fi ish. That's hard to explain. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's just one of those things where whenever I hear it, I'm like, gosh, what, what was that guy on when he came <laughs> up with that? But, um, yeah, that's, that's it. All right. Yeah. Terrific. Let's hear this. This is uh, from the film X Machina. Uh, the cue is called the test worked and it's written by composers, Ben Salisbury and Jeff Burrow.
We'll get back to our program in a minute. This program is done for the love of film and film music, plain and simple. However, it does take a huge investment in time and in fees for me to make the program work for you. I don't sell commercial time and don't really want to on this program. Rather, I'm kind of like a, a public broadcasting station. I need support from listeners like you. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me uh, uh, offset the time spent in putting the program together. Or maybe you just think of it as leaving a tip in the tip jar. Either way, if you can join up, uh, there will be bonuses, like an additional 10-15 to 15 minute segment with our guest every week, where we'll play additional cues as well as ask uh, some extra questions. And it's going to be only available to patrons. How do you sign up? Well, it's simple. You go to patreon.com slash what's the score, and that's all one word. That's Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's the score. Check it out. We'd be grateful for your support. That's Patreon.com. I can tell you have a real appreciation for film music. So I, and, and so I have a couple of questions about that. Um, one, something I find interesting is that you're the range that you've chosen of film scores. And I, when I say range, I'm talking about years. For instance, the next one we're going to play, I think if I recall correctly, comes from the eighties, but I mean, so you've, you've chosen some re recent uh, scores that have been done, but you've also reached back into the, into the filmography, if you will, that go back a couple of decades. Um, mm -hmm. How is, um, or maybe it hasn't, I don't know, but it, has film music changed over the years in your view? Because since you've really a dedicated film watcher, you've watched all these movies from, let's say, the 70s on forward. So has film music changed at all, or is it, or is it still pretty much the same? Hmm. I, I wouldn't say it's the same, but I... I... I guess you, you just have you have different styles of, of music. Um, you know, each each decade has its own flair. Um, I and this is probably just a function of time, but it seems like uh, your older soundtracks tend to have more of a timelessness to them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, newer ones, they, they just haven't been out, you know, long enough to say that. But there's there's just you know, especially from the eighties, that's, that's like my, my, I have a love affair with 80s stuff, but yeah. um, you know, that stuff just doesn't go away, man. <laughs> like it, yeah. it's, just, it's here. I mean, I appreciate it. And it, it may just be just because of my error, but um, yeah, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think a lot has changed. It's just, you know, times change. Well, you know, let me share my observation and see see what you think about that. And, and that is this, that um, because of the improvement in sound in movies, and when I say improvement in sound, I'm talking about basically 
sound effects, you know, explosions and flying planes and all that sort of stuff that film music can get lost during those sequences. And so now they have to compete with the sound effects. And so it's like almost film music has become more bombastic and, and boom, you know, in your face, that sort of thing, because they have to compete with the sound effects. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think you're right. Um, I think there is a more of a competition with all the stuff that's going on um, in films technologically um, and sonically these days. Uh, and that, you know, that's part of the beauty of, of also being able to have access to a soundtrack is because if you actually listen to a film soundtrack, you'll, you'll, you'll realize, um, gosh, I didn't even hear that, that uh, <laughs> score in the film, you know, it's beautiful. Where, when did that take place? Um, but that they're, they're just people creating very, still creating very beautiful music behind those, those booms and, you know, warp tunnels and all that stuff like that. So, yeah. The other thing I find interesting too, is that I don't know if this makes sense. Now, again, my listeners know, my listeners know my favorite composer is John Barry. I make no, no qualms about it. He used to say, like the, for the James Bond films, which I actually, I don't agree with him in this, but he, this is his impression of it. They had to have a lot of QE music is what, how he called it. QE music, meaning there wasn't like a lot of melody. It was just something to try to reflect the action or the mood and that sort of thing. Whereas a lot of uh, dramas, which he obviously did a lot of those kind of films as well, it used more melody in, in their scores to kind of uh, to try to express what the, what is going through the character's mind or what the character is feeling versus what you're seeing on the screen. So you had melody that would reflect that versus QE music, which was more related to the kind of like the action that was happening. Does any of that make sense? And just what are your thoughts on that? Hmm. I mean, that's, that's very, it's very introspective. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, let, let me help I mean, a little bit too, because yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't mean to put you on the spot. It, it yeah, just, talk that, about it. for, you know, for instance, I just find present day scores, uh, especially when they are around action scores. I don't really, I don't hear any melody. I just hear you know, like, I'm sorry. I'm an old, I'm an old guy. I'm sorry. I hear noise. That's what I hear. I hear mm-hmm. just noise, organized noise, but I don't hear melody or anything like that, especially when it comes to, to action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yet I've heard, you know, people like, uh, Jerry Goldsmith and, uh, uh, John Barry used to, you could still hear melody actually in some of their action cues. And yet, I, I don't know. It's just, is well, <laughs> your reactions to those statements? Yeah, I mean, um, he, there, there's always, and especially when you're talking about somebody like like John Barry, um, in that time period where he was really, you know, putting stuff out, um, it's a very special time. I mean, it's that that in between, like before things really, you know, got crazy technologically. Mm. Um, but I, I do, you know. I do think that there's still composers out there that are that are making the kinds of stuff, those melodies that you talk about um, in, in, in very creative ways. Um, 
I don't know. I just think I go back to what you said about it competing with what's actually in the film. Um, I think that has a a lot to do with why stuff is lost and why stuff gets so noisy, which is the kind of the sign of the times for a lot of things right now. But um, yeah, it's it's hard to especially when you're comparing uh, somebody like uh, like John Barry and James Bond music and stuff like it's, it's hard to, you know, compete with that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 One of the uh, one of the cues you chose is from a, a favorite film of mine, and but I'm trying to I'm I'm, I'm going to be interested in your uh, description of this because I'm not sure exactly what piece of music we're talking about, but mm-hmm. uh, it's from the film called Top Gun. I love this film, and and I'm really excited to see the new one, which yeah. keeps getting delayed. I know yes. it's in the can, it's finished, but yes. keep delaying it because I guess the pandemic. Release it, please. Yeah. I don't even know what the what the most recent release date is. I think it's summer of this year. Is am I right? Do you know? I think you're. I think you're right. I, I don't know exactly when during the summer, but sometime during that. Anyway, the cue you chose it, it's called Top Gun Anthem by uh, Harold uh, Faltmeyer and Steve Stevens. Now I think I know what it is, but I'd be curious to hear what your description of it and uh, where where it is in the film and why you liked it. It's smack dab at the beginning of the film. Oh, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, gosh, this is, and, 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 and I, this is a side note. My, my absolute favorite song on that soundtrack is the, the Berlin song, Take My Breath Away. Um, <laughs> but I go back to this one because um, when that film opens, man, and uh, I was a kid, I just 86, all right. Um, when that film opens and you're on that aircraft carrier and those those Tomcats are getting ready to take off and there's that smoke and all that stuff. And this this song starts with that 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 gong or that chime that boom, and then you got that that oh, yeah. that right there. That was probably the first time I really understood what a soundtrack or a score meant to a film and meant to the world of a film. Uh, because of course I'd never been on an aircraft carrier on a Tomcat or anything like that. But that, that moment with the, the sun rising and all that stuff like that. And, you know, backed by that music, you could kind of feel the, the energy of it, um, the, the mood of it, of being there. And, uh, of course, then the electric guitar comes in. It's the eighties. Everybody, I mean, come on, you love it. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's magic. It's magic. I actually, since my dad was in the Navy and was a, a Navy pilot for a while and actually did get going on an aircraft carrier. And you're right. It, it, uh, that, that music kind of like took me back to those times I used to be able to go on and visit the aircraft carrier independence cruise day. And it's just fabulous. And I agree with you. I love this. So I'm looking forward to hearing it again. So let's, uh, let's play this for, uh, for our audience. This is from the film. This is from the film top gun. It's called top gun anthem. And it's written by Harold Faltheimer and Steve Stevens. Enjoy.
Well, as we uh, as we wrap things up, I'm I'm curious, Scott. What um, how can people follow you and and know what's going on going on with you and your your production company, Sully Scope Films, and just kind of talk to us a little bit about your social media presence and uh, presence and how people can follow you. Uh, well, I'm I'm on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, um, you know those things, uh, and you can you can kind of look me up or look up Sully Scope Films and. Uh, we try to update that from time to time. I'm not as good as I should be about that, but um, <laughs> it's, also, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. Um, I also have a website, sullyscope.com, uh, and um, you can actually see most of the films on that website as well as uh, stuff that comes out will probably live on that website. So that's a, a really great place to keep up with things. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is how can they see some of your content? So they're not streaming on any of the major streaming services at this point, but they are available on your website. Is that is that fair to say? Yes, most of them are. Uh, Trigger Girl is not yet on there because it still remains to be seen where that will actually live. Um, there's also another um, feature that I did called Respect for Life that's actually the distribution of it is controlled by a, a nonprofit organization. So I can't just go around showing that one, but it um, the trailer for it for it exists on the the website. Okay. Okay. Well good. Well I mean, you know, I hope my audience will take advantage of the being able to follow you on that and check out some of your uh, some of your work and your films. I would highly recommend it. Uh, I haven't seen all his films, but I have a uh, I have seen Trigger Girl, as a matter of fact, which was, I guess, a couple of months ago, and just yeah. loved it. I was very impressed with that. And again, looking forward to a. We're going to be seeing Gravity here real soon. That's as right. we're taping this now, we're going to be seeing it towards the end of this week. So That's I'm right. looking forward to that. And of yeah. course, I'm sure I have a really major role in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, I think I have like three seconds of screen time, so don't worry about it. But anyway, oh, and it's the um, best three seconds in the film, man. <laughs> Scott, look, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us. It's, I, I've had such a great time, you know, kind of picking your brain and getting to know a little bit about you and your philosophy of filmmaking. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed it. I, I hope you have as well. I have, I have. Thank you so much. Your questions definitely gave me a lot to, to think about that. I'll think about after this conversation. Well. <laughs> well, that's good. That's kind of what I want. Um, listen uh, to all our listeners. I want to thank you for tuning in today. A special thanks to our patrons who are helping to support the program. Uh, as many of you know from the uh, announcement I make usually in the middle of the program, it's I see our, our program is kind of like something on the public broadcasting system. It's We need support from listeners like you. So if you're so inclined, I'd be grateful for your support. to Go to patreon.com and just look up what's the score and see how you can support us and see some of the extras that you'll get. In fact, we're going to, Scott and I are going to do a little bonus interview here in just a moment that'll be available to patrons only but i want to thank all of you for that and the rest of you for listening to the program so anyway that's going to wrap it up for today i want to thank you again our guest scott for joining us today and all of you for listening and so i guess there's only one thing left to say and that's simply this my name is frank r wilson my time's up i thank you for yours thanks for listening to what's the score